The topic of our discourse this evening is happiness and its development in the teachings of the Buddha. And it gives me New design. <laughs> so it gives me uh, much pleasure to have an opportunity to, mm, well, give a discourse to you on happiness. Now, yesterday's discourse was on a mindful contemplation of the Four Noble Truths. And as part of that uh, contemplation of the First Noble Truth, the Noble Truth of Fatna Suffering, then the Second Noble Truth, the Truth of the Origin of Suffering, then the Third Truth of the Cessation of Fatna Suffering, and finally, the Fourth Noble Truth of Fatna, the Way leading to the cessation of suffering. Now, what do you think? The more we practice, the more we suffer, or the more we practice, the more happiness arises in our stream of consciousness. You choose. One person put it as suffering less, noticing it more. Ah, suffering less, <laughs> noticing it more. <laughs> Good. Now, the Pali term for happiness is sukha. And besides qualifying feelings as being pleasant, the Pali term sukha also stands for various levels of a happy mind. Now, what we shall do is, this certain evening, is a look, first of all, at what certain pleasant feeling is all about, and this will be more of a review. Uh, Marcia has already, uh, early on in the retreat, given uh, a discourse on feelings, mindful, a mindful contemplation of feelings. Now, and having done that, we shall take a closer look at various types of happiness that can be found in the text and that represent experiences in the meditation practice. And having done that, we shall explore the development of happiness in the course of the practice. Now, 
when it comes to passages, text passages that speak of happiness, there are actually quite a number of those. For instance, there are Dhammapada verses 197 to 208. There are stanzas on happiness in the Theragata as well as the Terigata. And there, the Anguccha Nikaya also contains quite a number of really short discourses on happiness. Now, when we speak of a pleasant feeling, sukha vedana, then the feeling is simply put, the feeling tone of an experience of a physical or mental formation. And that certain feeling then can be of various kinds. Now, the Buddha himself has uh, proposed a differentiation between wholesome and unwholesome types of um, pleasure of uh, sukha. When it comes to a worldly, pleasant feeling. In the absence of mindfulness, this will typically lead to the arising of liking and will then lead to an attachment to the experience. So that would be in the case of a worldly pleasant feeling. An example for this is you see some beautiful landscape and then this is connected with a pleasant certain feeling and a liking will arise in the mind, attachment will be there. Again, in the absence of mindfulness. When going to the movies and certainly seeing a move, a spectacular moving uh, movie, then uh, this will typically also lead uh, to the arising 
of or will go along uh, with a pleasant feeling and certainly that pleasant feeling in the absence of mindfulness uh, will lead to the arising of liking and attachment. Now, there's no shortage of examples for this. Now, is it absolutely necessary, or would it be correct to say that in all cases, a pleasant feeling leads to liking and to attachment? Is that a must? Does this occur in all cases? So, Christine, you're saying not. No. Could you Once give an example? Once mindfulness is there? Yeah, then you don't have to attach to it. Okay. And um, beyond that, there are certain experiences as part of the Samadha meditation as well as as part of the Vipassana meditation that involve sukha, happiness and those certain um, instances in the presence of mindfulness do not uh, lead to the arising of liking and attachment, but rather um, pave the way for an ultimate realization of the Dhamma. Now, the distinction here is, and a distinction that the Buddha made himself, is certainly that between a worldly, a worldly pleasant feeling and an unworldly pleasant feeling. Samisa Sukha and Niramisa Sukha in the Pali scriptural language. Now, a worldly pleasant feeling is the Patisamida Magga states occurs in connection with the sense of five sense pleasures, whereas an unworldly pleasant feeling occurs in connection with renunciation. So in the context of Fatna the Samatha meditation and Satna the Vasana meditation. give you one example of an unworldly pleasant feeling and more on that certainly later on mm. as part of the imperfections of Fatna insight retreatants are likely to come across an experience of Sukha and that sukha, as long as we don't get attached to it, is or can be considered an 
unworldly, pleasant feeling, miramisa sukha. And when you look at certainly the instructions given in the Satipatthana Sutta itself about a mindful contemplation of feelings, you find that this distinction between worldly and worldly feelings is being made. Namely, when feeling a worldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. And when feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, I, one knows I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. Now, stating in a very general manner, as certainly you surely will be aware of by now, feelings are rather ephemeral and certainly they come and go, they don't last. And they're clearly impermanent, they are also unsatisfactory and they're also said to be anatta. So not under our control, nothing to be identified with. So in terms of different types of happiness, we have worldly happiness, samisa, sukha, and satna, unworldly happiness, niramisa, sukha. Now, the Anguttara Nikaya, in its satna first volume, section 80, and certainly following then contains a number of really short certainly discourses on two forms of or several cases of certainly two forms of contrasting happiness and contrasting types of happiness that could be generally classed as worldly happiness on the one hand side and unworldly happiness on the other hand. So there's, for instance, mention in the text of the happiness of lay life, gihi sukha. So you can, uh, whenever you feel hungry, no one will prevent you from heading towards the fridge and help yourself to some delicious food. Whereas in the case of unworldly happiness, we have the happiness of one gone forth. And one gone forth who what do you think? 
will have the freedom to, to open the fridge and help himself or herself? Probably uh. not. <laughs> Probably not. But other forms of happiness are available. Now, then we have sensual happiness, karma sukra, and non-sensual happiness, nikama sukra. So, going to the you know, to the movies and seeing a fascinating uh, movie will lead to the arising of some sense of pleasure. And quite different from that is a form of happiness that occurs when we engage, when we renounce um, ordinary worldly life at this on a temporary basis and suddenly then engage in uh, samatha or vipassana practice. And as part of that, certainly happiness occurs. Then there may be happiness that goes along with attachment, upati sukha, and a form of happiness that is free from attachment, nirupati sukha in the Pali scriptural language. The text certainly further in which Nikaya further distinguishes between happiness related to the taints, the taints certainly uh, corruptions, sa sukha, and happiness that uh, is not related you know, to, um, or, or that is happiness that is related to an absence of the taints, an asawa, sukha, in the Pali scriptural language. Furthermore, there's this, the distinction between innoble happiness, anariya, sukha, on the one hand side, and noble happiness, ariya sukha, on the other hand. Now, the text certainly, the Majima Nikaya, the Diga Nikaya, are full of, or contain, several examples for a very simple type of happiness. A simple type of happiness that arises out of performing a wholesome deed. The Atasalini, 
which is the commentary to the, the Dhamma Sangani, in its section 48 to 50, in a section that describes what kusala, what wholesomeness is all about, says the characteristic of wholesomeness consists in faultless, happy results. Anawaja, sukha, vipaka in the Pali scriptural language. Anawaja, sukha, vipaka, lakana, or lakanam. So when we say here the characteristic of wholesomeness is given as faultless happy results, we could also say that uh, this, or express it differently, that this consists in irreproachable happy results, blameless happy results. Now, the Diganikaya contains a passage where the observance of the precepts, the ethical precepts, is being described and then it concludes, that particular passage concludes, by fulfilling this noble domain of morality, one feels in one's heart an irreproachable, a faultless, blameless happiness, anawaja nesukam in the Pali scriptural language. Now, another example for a wholesome deed or a wholesome practice leading to the arising of Fatna Sukha is the following. Namely, as stated in the Majjhima it's first volume section 346, the restraint of Fatna, the six sense doors. Indriya Samara Nasila will lead or a person who practices this restraint of the senses will feel in his or her heart an unblemished an unimpaired type of happiness abhyaseka sukha in the Pali scriptural language When you perform an act of generosity with a mind suddenly filled with faith, faith in the fact that this is a wholesome deed, faith in cause and effect, faith in the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, then 
uh, this is likely uh, to result in an, uh, the arising of an irreproachable, faultless, uh, hap uh, faultless, happy results. Now, non-retreatants or beginning retreatants may be under the wrongful impression that we have only sensual pleasures as our only source of happiness. And so the happy, the pleasure that arises from going out to an exotic restaurant and having some rare or unique type of food or the pleasure that uh, we get out of uh, maybe consuming uh, you know, wine and uh, the like, or the pleasure that we might, uh, um, that we hope uh, to gain uh, from uh, going on a vacation. So these certain forms of pleasures, can they be denied or not? Can they or not? The, those, those kind of pleasures, can they be denied or not? Do they exist or not? They do exist. However, they come at a price, as we shall see. Now, Many people are not aware of the fact that actually, as human beings, a whole, a huge range of other forms of happiness is available, is certainly potentially uh, available if one practices. And the Buddha has uh, described those certain various kinds of happiness and when one looks at certain, those certain descriptions then one can't help but notice that their, uh, these forms of happiness mm, come in a a certain succession. There's a certain refinement in terms of experiences of happiness occurring.
when the young Prince Siddhartha was uh, at a young age was sitting under a rose apple tree and quite naturally ending up in a meditative state and experiencing the first jhana and this without certain a teacher it appears then um, he recognized he became aware he had an experience of happiness of fatnesukha which uh, was very different from uh, the ordinary karma sukha, namely essential pleasure. And it is certain later on, after his great certain renunciation, and prior to gaining supreme enlightenment, that he realized not all pleasant feelings are uh, reprehensible, but there's some that do there's some that are wholesome and among those and then he uh, remembered the experience from his childhood, the experience of the first jhana. And that in the spiritual development of Prince Siddhartha was a major turning point towards Satna liberation or on his um, in his endeavor towards Satna liberation. Now, that the disciples of Fatna, the Buddha, were different from other ascetics, this king, Pasanadi of Kosala, did notice for himself and he expressed this to the Buddha in the following words, as is recorded in the second volume of the Majjhimanikaya, in section 121. And so he states, but here I see bhikkhus smiling and cheerful, sincerely joyful, plainly delighting, their faculties fresh, living at ease, unruffled, subsisting on what is, what others give, abiding with a mind as aloof as a wild deer's. I have thought, surely these venerable ones perceive successive states of lofty distinction in 
the Blessed One's dispensation, since they abide thus smiling and cheerful. And uh, with a mind as aloof as a wild deer's. This too, venerable sir, is why I infer, according to Dhamma, about the Blessed One. The Blessed One is fully enlightened. The Dhamma is well proclaimed by the Blessed One. The Sangha of the Blessed One's uh, disciples is uh, practicing the good way. And so it is uh, just seeing these cheerful monastics aroused much faith in King Pasanadi of Kosala. And out of that, he then took refuge in the Buddha. Now, what would you say? If a Buddha were to arise at certain in the present, certain time, and you would have an opportunity to listen to the teachings, then would this be a cause for happiness? Yes, no? Pardon me? Oh, definitely yes, there you go. And this is indeed what the Dhammapada, verse 194, is postulating. Sukho Buddhanam Upado. Happy is the arising of a Buddha. Happy is the exposition of the Arya Dhamma. Sukha Sadhama Desana. And Sukha Sangasa Samaggi Samagganam Tapo Sukho. Happy is the harmony amongst the Sangha. Happy is the practice of those in harmony. Teaching the Dhamma itself Teaching the path 
that leads to no true happiness is indeed another source of happiness. Now, when having or when preparing for a demodog, whatever the topic may be, in reading up here and there and another place in the in the text and then carefully reflecting on what is being said there I can't help but time and again feeling inspired being deeply touched by the profundity of uh, the wisdom that comes uh, through uh, the text. And so having an opportunity to teach Dhamma to those who cherish the Dhamma, to whom the practice of the Dhamma is certainly important, and to support certainly such practitioners is obviously or obviously becomes a source of happiness itself. Now The Buddha sent out his Satna disciples during the early days of his Satna Dhamma activities with the following words. Wander forth, O monastics, for the welfare of the multitude, for the happiness of the multitude, out of compassion for the world, for the good, welfare and happiness of devas and humans. Let not two go the same way. Teach, O monastics, the Dhamma that is good in the beginning, good in the middle, good in the end, with the right meaning and phrasing. Reveal perfectly complete and purified holy life. There are beings with little dust in their eyes who are falling away because they do not hear the Dhamma. And the Buddha now then further stating, I too will go to Senanangi Sinanigama in Uruwela, near forest, in order to teach the Dhamma. So teaching of the Dhamma then becomes a source of happiness simply because by teaching the Dhamma this uh, teaching the Dhamma uh, which is a path to true happiness.
Would you say that happiness arises out of the blue, by chance, by coincidence, by wishing for it, wishful thinking? Again? No. Not the case, indeed not. No. Like in so many other cases, things are occurring in a a very causative manner, one factor leading to the next. Now, familiar to you by now, there should be the following sequence, namely, having overcome the five hindrances in one's practice, having overcome difficult bodily formations, pains, nicks, and the like, what tends to arise is a sense of gladness, Bamuja. And that, in turn, will lead to the arising of joy, which is a stronger form of joy, stronger than the Bamuja. And the joy at first will be somewhat coarse over time, however, it becomes more refined. This and then will prepare you know, the ground you know, for the stilling of you know, the body, and uh, with the stilling of you know, the body uh, as a prerequisite, you know, there will be the stilling of the mind. And that in turn leads to the arising of what? Oh, well, obviously, the arising of sukha of happiness and a happy mind is certainly said to be easily focused, easily concentrated. And such a concentrated mind then is represents another important factor for the arising of intuitive wisdom and ultimately contributes to the realization of the Dhamma. Now, another aspect that occurs in the course of meditation practice, mindfulness, certain meditation practice, increasingly we learn to become contented with what is being offered in terms of facilities at a retreat center, in terms of the food, in terms of uh, the accommodation, and so on. And the more we practice, 
the more an inner form of happiness arises and with that then with that and that, you know, that inner happiness also arising to some extent you know, out of you know, the contentment it really doesn't matter anymore whether we have lots of property or you know, very little property because there is this um, happiness within and that is fulfilling in itself Eating too much, we end up feeling overly full. We might even end up with some uh, stomach pains. Eating too little, we might uh, grow hungry. And so, in the end, what's is the wise approach is moderation in eating controlling the senses restraint of the sense stores when we practice that over after a while we will recognize its benefits we will recognize that this actually contributes to the purity, relative purity of the mind and one can or with that then the following words of the Buddha as given in the Itiwutaka section 24 do make a lot of sense namely moderate in eating of controlled senses experiences happiness both bodily and mental happiness occurs at various points in our mindfulness certain meditation early on upon overcoming the hindrances and certainly then uh, after let's say another uh, week of intensive practice week or more of intensive practice again the the hindrances will be back we will have to deal with them for a second time and when eventually overcoming the hindrances and having gained an intuitive understanding into the three universal characteristics of impermanence, uh, suffering and non-self, with that then Sukha is likely to rise again. And this time around, as part of the so-called 
imperfections of insight. There are ten of footnote those, the first one being illumination or basa, then next we have jnana, so keen, incisive, sharp knowledge, followed by joy, followed by tranquility, followed by happiness, sukha. And when that certain happiness occurs, it's important that we do not get attached to it. And when that happiness occurs, retreatants are likely to have experiences of great satisfaction, of pleasant, soothing thrills, feeling like being on top of the world, experiencing a sublime form of happiness, experiencing a calm type of happiness that arises in the mind, that typically goes along with a body that is relaxed, comfortable, at ease, free of pains and aches, in certain cases even free of physical diseases. Now, that type of happiness, does it occur because you've just watched a movie? Does it occur because you've just had a super delicious meal? Again, not. But rather, it is a form of happiness that arises out of the meditation practice, out of um, a relative purity of the mind. And when retreatants come across that type of happiness for the first time, they are oftentimes pretty uh, impressed, impressed um, in in, in, this, in various ways. One aspect being being so surprised that simply just by being mindful of the rising and falling movement of the abdomen and other predominant objects, such a profound happiness uh, arises in the stream of consciousness, and. What will naturally follow is a comparison with the ordinary type of worldly happiness, namely sensual pleasure that arises out of indulging in various sense pleasures. And when one then 
prefers which one. Which one seems richer and more fulfilling? The first or the second one? The second one, of course. And so it is not a type of happiness that depends on indulging in this or that uh, essential um, activity. When that type of uh, happiness arises, then it's important that we remain mindful of it, we label it, we observe it, we know its nature, and not get attached to it, not develop craving for it, not get proud and conceited, and not certainly develop some, some wrongful view, such as this must be the happiness of Nibbana, when in fact at that point uh, uh, it's clearly not yet the case. Now, The Buddha speaks in praise of this particular phase in the meditation practice in the following words as recorded in Dhammapada verse 373, namely, Sunyagara Pavitasa Santachitasa Bhikkhuno Ammanusi Rati Hoti Samadamam Vipasato. This translates into English as the retreatant who goes into seclusion to meditate, whose mind is tranquil, who clearly perceives the Dhamma, experiences a joy which transcends that of ordinary beings, who experiences, instead of joy, it might be better to say, who experiences a delight which transcends that of ordinary beings. The Pali term for delight is rati, amanusi rati, is a delight that transcends that of ordinary men and women. And the Pali term rati is understood to include three states, namely the state of joy, the state of tranquility, and the state of happiness. And all three of those being imperfections of or occur as part of the Vipassana practice.
when we experience this Satyan Dhamma delight, it may serve a really good Satyan function, namely to inspire a yogi in the following way. This practice is uh, a yielding tangible, outstanding tangible results. There's a lot of potential here. If I continue to practice, then uh, probably even better states uh, can be attained. The following Dhammapada verse, namely 374, is stating the following. Every time one clearly comprehends the arising and the perishing of the khandas, the five aggregates, one finds joy and gladness. That to the way is the, sorry, that to the wise is the way to Nibbana. Namely, the deathless sadness state. In the course of the meditation practice, by being mindful of whatever predominant object comes along, sooner or later we experience formations as clearly and quickly arising and passing away, appearing and disappearing. And that experience itself goes along with uh, plenty of wholesome states as expressed Satna by the Buddha in this Satna Dhammapada verse. And the joy and gladness that arises to some, at least to some extent, may occur due to the fabulous qualities of the mind at that point being very sharp, very quick, and uh, the mind uh, possessing this incisive knowledge or as soon as an object arises the mind observing mind is there and knows the nature of the respective object Now, there are passages in the text that describe the development, the gradual development of a disciple starting with being established in virtuous conduct and 
living with contentment, restraining the senses, and Satna the like. And Satna then, however, go into um, Samatha meditation of the experiences of Satna, the various jhanas, first, second, third, fourth jhana. And with those with that or long with the samatha meditation come certain forms of uh, bliss and happiness so for instance the Majjhima Nikaya in its first certain volume section 374 speaks of the bliss and happiness of seclusion viveka jam piti it speaks of the bliss and happiness of concentration samadhi jam piti sukham and satna the happy dwelling in equanimity and mindfulness upekako satima sukhavihari And ultimately, other um, other jhanas, certainly the fine or immaterial sphere jhanas are also being mentioned, and then even some psychic powers that a retreatant might certainly gain and certainly then ultimately this leads to this spiritual development leads to the realization of the destruction of the taints asawakeya in the Pali scriptural language and that then is again said to be accompanied by a profound uh, happiness. And it is in the context of uh, the uh, jhanas or samadha practice that other forms of happiness are being mentioned, namely nekamasukha, which the commentary explains as uh, mm, no, it explains the jhanas as nekamasukha the bliss of uh, renunciation because uh, they yield the bliss of renouncing essential pleasures and then the commentary explains the jhanas as happiness of seclusion because they yield the bliss of being secluded from the crowd and from defilements. And the jhanas get explained as happiness of peace because their bliss is for the purpose of quieting down the defilements. And finally, the jhanas are spoken of as the happiness of enlightenment Samboda Sukha, because their bliss is for the purpose of attaining enlightenment. However, the jhanas themselves are not states of enlightenment. 
among all forms of happiness, it is Nibbana that is considered to be the highest form of happiness as expressed in the Pali words Nibbana Paramam Sukham or Nibbana has uh, furthermore being referred to as uh, the greatest bliss and uh, it has also been uh, referred to as a non-sensate type of happiness Avidaita Sukha in the Pali scriptural language. In contrast to Vedayita Sukha, namely happiness that certainly arises based on sense formation, sensate. Um, uh, formations. Now, the Anguttara Nikaya contains a short certain discourse entitled Unbinding. In Pali, it's certainly given as the Nibbana Sukha Sutta, and uh, it describes a conversation between the venerable uh, or elder Sariputta and certainly the venerable Udayin. And the discourse says, I have heard on one occasion venerable Sariputta was staying near Rajaga in the bamboo grove. There he said to the monks, This unbinding is pleasant, friends. This unbinding is pleasant. When this was said, the venerable Udain said to the elder Sariputta, But what is the pleasure here, my friend, where there is nothing felt? So, in other words, how can there be happiness without uh, uh, any uh, sensate experiences, without any uh, uh, sensations? So it didn't mm, make sense to Venerable Urayin. And the elder Nesariputta then his reply is remarkable and noteworthy. But what is the pleasure here, my friend, where there is nothing felt? Just that is the pleasure here, my friend, where there is nothing felt. So the very absence of 
feelings and certain the like. So the very absence of sense impressions is so uh, pleasurable, is certain so uh, peaceful. Buddha has certainly referred to Nibbana as a supreme happiness. And as mentioned already in the preceding talk yesterday, the occurrence of the breakthrough to the Four Noble Truths is accompanied by happiness and joy. The Buddha himself stated that he is one who lives in happiness. Now, we're already quite advanced in terms of time. Of course, much more could be explained, but time is not allowing for this. Allow me to conclude today's certain discourse on happiness and its development in context of Fatna the Buddha's teachings by wishing may this discourse help you to see this huge range of different forms of happiness available in the course of the practice through practicing and may it motivate you, may it inspire you to yeah, be diligent in your practice, to be mindful in a sustained manner, and satna, to practice with a, a concentrated, alert mind, and may intuitive wisdom arise that ultimately sees Nibbana, that is uh, said to be um, so, uh, or a source of uh, great happiness. And this is it for the discourse. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.